Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. I hope everyone enjoyed my very writing and culture-focused episode with my dear friend Chris Murphy, Vanity Fair staff writer. I know I can laugh and chat with him anytime, and it was very, very difficult to keep the episode at a reasonable length for your listening uh, pleasure. But I'll probably have that problem with this episode too. I'm so excited to bring this guest onto the show. I think you will all be very excited too. So without further ado, the amazing Barton Cowperthwaite. Welcome. Hi, Katie. Hi. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, it's Cowperthwaite. It's frenetic. It's exactly how it's spelled. Exactly as it's spelled. I love it. And (laughs) do you want me to call you Barton or Bart? I really have no preference. Whatever's kind of rolling off the tongue more easily for you. You have a very unique name. So So that is a great name. My first name is actually my my mother's maiden name. So my mom is Laura Barton. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to get my mom's maiden name as my first name. That's a beautiful way to do it, I think. Wow. I love that. Do you have siblings? Yeah. I do. I have two younger brothers. Did they also, and I have, how did they approach the name there? Yeah, my my younger, my middle brother is, is Joseph, and that is my dad's. Joseph comes from, actually, Willard Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I guess I'm bouncing around now a little bit. I think Joey is named oh, after yeah. my, how would you say it, great aunt, my grandmother's sister, Josephine Cowperthwaite. So Joseph is is from Josephine, and then... Willard Jeffrey Cowperthwaite. Willard comes from another distant family member on my father's side. And Jeffrey, his middle name, is my dad's best friend. My middle name is Randall, which is my mom's... My mom had a gay best friend, and I got his name as my middle name. I love that. Oh, I love when names have, like, sort of historical familial significance. And those are all... Yeah, it is really special. all, like fun sort of older names that now are back in style like I feel like Barton is like trendy now I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I was like we're gonna be on a podcast and we both have weird last names so we can totally like hash this out where does beer and bomb come from and why is it O-I-M because I was like if I'm reading it it's beer and (laughs) boy Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question, and one I frankly don't really know the answer to because this is this is my dad's side, um, and we know a lot less about that side of the family. I mean, it's Jewish, Ashkenazi Jews, and they were f- mostly from Russia. But Birnbaum is is Germanic; it means like pear tree in German, so they must have had some like German vibes in there somehow. Um, we don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just like trusting my dad on the pronunciation, but it messes up everyone. But I always say it's like a beer and a bomb. I'm so glad you brought this up. I've actually never discussed it on the pod. So for those who are wondering, oh, hallelujah. And where does Cowperthwaite come from? I mean, it's got to be English. I mean, the only correct way to say it is probably Cowperthwaite. Just so posh like and above it all. It, it's definitely <laughs> somewhere English. I remember because, you know, at, like an acting exercise is to always like look up the definition of your character's name 
And when I learned that, I was like, oh, I'm going to look up Barton. And, like, Barton is literally, like, a barley house. Like, it could not be more just, like, salt of the earth. And that makes sense because my mom, I would always do these. We all grow up in school doing, like, genealogy projects. Like, let's learn your family tree. And my dad's side, obviously, Cowperthwaite is, like, you know, the family tree. Like, there's books and ledgers. And, like, he can trace us back, like, several generations and I would, I'd so like, you know, one half of my family tree was always like so flushed out, like tons of branches. And then like the other side of my family tree, I'd be like, mom, what is our heritage? And she'd be like, well, I asked grandpa Dick and he always said that we're Heinz 57. And I was like, cool. So I'm going to get a C on this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also feel like people like at least my dad always says no one talked about it really like people weren't that interested in it when when they were younger it was like or back in the day it was like we're American that's what we are now and I wish that my dad's side had discussed it more I wish I knew more and I'm sure you feel the same way I definitely Um, do anyway I'm getting very off topic which I love (laughs) before we I I mean I do want to start with like your family and your upbringing and all of that but before we go on I want to do a little intro to who you are for my listeners who may not be familiar Barton is an incredible dancer actor and model can you believe it the triple threat he grew up dancing hip-hop and then moved to ballet but now I think does a mixture of styles in Colorado before going on to get a BFA in dance from the University of Arizona. From there, he built up an impressive dance career starring in the American in Paris tour and eventually booking the role of Oren Lennox on Netflix's Tiny Pretty Things. He's also done a voting campaign with Levi's, among other modeling campaigns. And I sort of cobbled together these credits from various interviews you've done. Is there anything major I'm missing I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff because like the career is is always jumping around. I think some dance credits that I'm really proud of is is, is working with Lar Lubavitch. He's a choreographer who I uh, love and admire, and he was instrumental in my career. I, I toured with a dance company called Shaping Sound, which was Travis Wall. He's well known in the in the dance world. I shot the second season of Girls Five Eva, which is on Peacock, and I have a few great episodes in that, and that's great for the musical theater community. It's it's a really fun show, so check out season two of girls five ever may 5th on peacock yeah erica Huntington is a friend of the pod and she i know has also been shooting that so it's amazing it's a a big old party over there i want to obviously get into sort of how you made this not really transition but how you started to incorporate acting and performance more into your dance world but i want to start from the beginning you grew up in colorado based on the research I did, started doing hip hop. What drew you to dance in the first place? Yeah, well, I was always an athletic kid. You know, I I played soccer for seven or eight years. I played baseball, lacrosse, I grew up skiing. And I was always very athletic, but I was never like the big tough guy. Like I was kind of, um, you know, the, the string bean white kid who had a lot of energy, but was never like the alpha. And so I was always kind of struggling to fit in. And my little brother, he was in second grade at the time. I was in sixth grade. He had a crush on a girl in his class. And my mom and her mom had been good friends for a long time. And so they plotted to put them in hip hop class together. 
And there's my little brother, Joey. He comes home after his first hip-hop class, and he's like, Bart, I'm the only boy in class. Please, come take class with me. And I'm like, you're the only boy in class? Okay. (laughs) So I take my first hip-hop class, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I was like, oh, man, there's music. Like, I'm moving. It's athletic super engaging i love the teacher and like also it just was so cool what he could do like he could do things with his body that i had never seen on on the soccer field or in a lacrosse game i was like this guy has control so i started taking hip-hop classes and that was the beginning of the end (laughs) that was the beginning of the beginning really yeah yeah and then why did you start to do ballet was it just a matter of people being like oh everything your dance will get better from doing ballet because it's the foundation I mean that is that's they all kind of like I, I, I like when I look back on it in my memories I see them all kind of like putting their fingertips together and, and plotting sneakily like okay, we have the boy dancing. Now, how do we get him into ballet? And that's like, so what do you do? What do you say to the kid to be like, don't worry. Like, it doesn't matter if you get made fun of. Like, so really what they told me is like, ballet will make your hip hop better. Um, But I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to do ballet. There was this amazing teacher that this studio that I started at hired. And his name is Brian Young. And he was kind of a a really well-trained Giordano jazz dancer. And he had this kind of great career and came back. He's he's from Colorado. He came back to Colorado to teach jazz. And I saw him, I have like a very uh, visceral memory of watching him perform a solo in the studio showcase. And that was even like 10 times what I experienced when I went to my first hip hop class. I was like, this guy is it. He can do everything. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do jazz because he does jazz. And that was epic. So I started taking jazz and tap. And so I guess it was just kind of like, you know, they're turning up the temperature on me. You're getting kind of more used to the, you're getting acclimated to the dance kind of world and culture and after I did I I did like six months of hip-hop and then a year of tap and jazz and then they were like you know the studio was doing competitions and conventions and the only way you were allowed Mm. to do competitions and conventions is if you're in studio company and you have to Mm. do ballet to be in studio company you have to take ballet classes and so I was like these competitions and conventions seem like where it's at. Like they seem so cool and everybody makes friends there and they get to listen to new music and learn cool combos from cool teachers. And so I was like, I succumbed to the, to the pressure and I was like, well, they say ballet is going to make my hip hop better. So like might as well bro out and go take some ballet classes, you know? And that was truly it. Like I remember my first, first, ballet combo was I think to um the Trans-Siberian Orchestra (laughs) doing like they I think Trans-Siberian Orchestra doing a Star Wars piece and I remember doing the studio recital do and I was doing ballet in sweatpants and that was that was when they they got me hooked so you're probably like in middle school at this point yeah, I was. I started hip hop sixth grade. I really didn't start ballet until I was like halfway through eighth grade, I think. Was that considered I wanted... late for ballet? 
Yeah, I was I was thirteen. That's that's kind of late. You know, it's it's not as late for guys. The ballet world is kind of like if a guy takes, it doesn't matter. Like we'll take you. So there's a little more leeway on that front, but it definitely you know, you hear about a lot of dancers who are in the professional field who are in in companies. A lot of them start very, very young because it is Yeah an art form that does require extreme physical control and and mastery. And, and so like, you know, anything that's kind of in that world, like gymnastics, dance, there, there kind of has to be an early start so that you can really kind of get your skeleton to change in time so that it can do all the things it's being asked to do. Yeah. But it's still growing. Is your family at all in entertainment or were they just sort of like stymied by like, were they like, whoa, I guess Barton is a, is a dancer and he's really good. Because I know my parents are not at all in the world and they were sort of like, all right, like do your thing. I guess the arts. Yeah. yeah not, not dancers. My mother was like, she wanted to be a dancer when she was younger. She mm-hmm. went to college as a, a modern made my mind flashes to this image of her in like a leotard she has one of those like elastic belts around like her low rib cage and she's on her stomach on the floor like doing kind of those like starfish back raises that they would (laughs) do to warm up in modern class classic so she was a modern major briefly but she really did not have the support of her of her parents they were like get a real job mm-hmm. and unfortunately my mom had a had a pretty gnarly accident she fell down a flight of stairs while she was in school and that kind of oh put gosh. an end to to the dance dreams because recovering from a major injury and the combination of of her parents actively fighting against those hopes and dreams I think kind of took the wind out of her sails in in that direction. For me growing up, mom stayed an artist. You know, she was in the in the theater and she got into visual arts. My dad is an architect, so he has a very visual element of of art in his career. I always kind of I grew up around his hand-drawn designs and stuff and there was always this like really amazing kind of architectural work all around the house and I I grew up in a space that my dad had designed it was a very dynamic space in downtown Denver that was just like I I remember so fondly so and my my dad and mom also owned a theater in in downtown Denver when I was growing up so a lot of the time we would be like yeah we would be kind of like backstage roughhousing around set pieces and different like there was this one project that my mom did as a part of like a parade in Denver called bigger than your head and she made these like six foot seven foot tall paper mache masks that were bigger than your head and I, I just have these great memories of being around these giant masks when I'm like a little boy and just being like, these are the biggest things ever. Was there any pressure when you started to think about college? Because I know dancers, especially if you're a ballet dancer, it becomes this like fork in the road. Like, are you going to go for sort of a professional company or are you going to go to college? So did you feel the weight of that decision when you were in sort of late high school? What were you thinking at that time? I was, I went to an arts high school in Denver. I went to Denver School of the Arts and I was doing ballet and jazz and modern. I was also training at Colorado Ballet. 
and I really had been taken under the wing of, of Brian Young, who was that guy who, who inspired me when I was so young. And he was really my mentor through, through high school. And I really considered myself a jazz dancer. And mm. I had gotten some like scholarship job opportunities from different conventions and competitions and stuff. And so I was like, I'm not going to college. And my parents were like, <laughs> that's what you think. So they kind of forced me to audition for college. And so I auditioned for Juilliard, Point Park, and University of Arizona. And I didn't get into Juilliard. I got accepted to both Point Park and University of Arizona. And U of A, I had the most amazing audition experience. It was called, something called Jazz and As. They have this amazing like convention weekend where they fly in a bunch of teachers and you're in like Arizona in, in kind of September, it's the perfect time of year. It's like 80 degrees and there's not a cloud in the sky and the campus is just like warm and the energy is so vibrant. And I auditioned for Point Park in the middle of December. Everybody had left for Christmas break. Like no one was there. Downtown Pittsburgh shuts down at like 5 p.m. I was like, this, this is... So just the energy was not there for Point Park. And so I ended up going to University of Arizona and I was like, I'm a jazz dancer, and U of A was like, <laughs> that's what you think. And they were like, you're a ballet dancer. So they really like, they kind of are the ones I would give credit to at that point. Like I'm 18 mm -hmm. thinking I'm gonna be like jazz commercial and they really were like, you're kind of a tall, lanky, you know, dancer who we think we can turn into someone who can do ballet. And so I really ended up doing a lot of, I did a couple of Balanchine ballets in college and, and they really kind of pushed me into like partnering and, and into that world. And so they, they really kind of flushed out my foundation in classical ballet. And that, yeah, that did me a great service for the rest of my career coming from U of A. Did you have any particularly amazing mentors there? Like I know you mentioned Brian Young from when you were growing up. Was there a teacher that really inspired you while you were there? There were so many. I, I, U of A was actually a really, really great great place. I mean, Melissa Lowe was the kind of head of the School of Dance and she she has she was a principal at Pacific Northwest Ballet and so she has a really Balanchine based background. Amy Ernst was the modern professor who was just so sweet and I love her so much. Doug Nielsen was also a modern professor there and I, you can hear Doug's voice so clearly. Like you, you'd be in class and you'd say, "Put your whole hand on the floor." Michael Williams was the jazz teacher, and he he's also another one of those like strong personalities that I remember really fondly. So all all such great personalities that you could you could kind of follow and 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 look up to. We had this men's teacher though, Jim Clouser. He's old and kind of probably 80 when I when I get there and he would stroke the palm of his hands and whenever he was like happy with how you did in class he'd like lick his thumb and turn it around and give you a thumbs up me just yeah he choreographed <laughs> a ballet to Carmina Burana my freshman year and um that was kind of the first time I got cast as like like a soloist role and then and then I ended up getting to do the lead for, I got to do the principal roles in, in Balanchine's Rubies and in Allegro Brilliant. And yeah, I think Jim Clauser was, was a really phenomenal example as, as someone who just had, had um, 
made a career out of his passion and, and had stuck with it for his whole life. And that's something that's always, you don't really realize the impact it has on you when you witness that at 20, but it sticks with you when you look back, that's for sure. What was the transition? Uh, you After that, you moved directly to New York. Was that the move? No, I actually, um, <laughs> so I really wanted I really like I was not sold on the whole idea of college, even when I was there. There was this company mm. called Bad Boys of Dance, which was Rasta Thomas's company at the time. And I had sent in an audition video for them my freshman year. And Rasta was like, hey, man, like you look great, but finish school. So flash forward two years, I, I graduated school a year early. I had kind of decided that U of A was a very good time. And I was kind of like, if I stay another year, I might have too good of a time. Mm, got and it. So I, I put together another audition video as I'm heading towards graduation and I sent it into Bad Boys. And they were actually casting for contemporary ballet production of Romeo and Juliet. And it was mm. going to be half classical score from Vivaldi Prokofiev and then half pop music and rock music, which was like Jay-Z, Bruno Mars, Aerosmith. So like, so... I flew out to Baltimore and auditioned for Romeo and Juliet, and they hired me as Romeo. And so I graduated college and then moved to Baltimore, rehearsed over the summer for Romeo and Juliet. And then I toured around Europe for the next, like, we had two kind of three-month tours in and around Europe in, in different countries, mainly like Germany, Austria, Switzerland, yeah, a lot of that area. And that was, so I ended up moving to New York actually in 2014 from Germany. Wow. Uh, what was that, that like touring with, with that Romeo and Juliet production in Europe? I mean, it was a dream in so many ways because it was this company, it, like it's a lot of men, like it was, it was bad boys. So like the cast was eight guys and two girls. There was the, the female cast members were uh, Juliet and the nurse. And then the men filled out the rest of the cast. And so the tour was with like 20 people. We had four girls, two for each and, you know, 16 guys covers for all the roles. And it was just such like healthy competition. You know, we're all pushing mm. each other. We're all hungry to be better. And like every guy brings something different to the table. So, you know, you're taking class every day, you're rehearsing, you're being so athletic and just putting everything on the line. Like, we would rehearse all day and, and put the show together. And then we were all living in the same house in Baltimore when we're, when we're choreographing the show and there's this park next to the house. And so we would literally get out of rehearsal after dancing for eight hours and we would go to the park and we'd be throwing the Frisbee and we'd be teaching each other tricks and flips and like how to do things. Like if someone could do something that you couldn't do, you were all just throwing your bodies around as, as like hard as you could to try and learn that thing. And so, um, it was really an amazing experience out of college just to get to kind of be working as a professional. I, I got to be the lead for the show. It was also such an amazing and, and such a huge seed for me as an actor because I was playing Romeo and like as a dancer, obviously, you're, you're really trying to tell a story and, and that, that role was really demanding emotionally. And it was a really special time getting to come out of college and meet a whole new group of people who were all kind of pushing and striving to make something great and to perform something that like we were all really passionate about it and so I, I really look upon that time with with a lot of fondness and gratitude 
It sounds, I mean, it sounds amazing. I have two questions based on that. The first, was that your first time being in a male majority ballet or dance setting? I know you've talked a lot in interviews about like, what does it mean to be a ballet dancer when you're young and a boy? So I don't want to harp on it too much. But if you want to talk about it, I mean, I'm sure like there must be a moment when you're suddenly like, oh, like guys do this too. And like, it's so athletic and 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 almost like a sport in many ways. So was that the first time or was it really when you went to college or was it when you were dancing at this studio even in, in Colorado? I mean, it's it's a great question because it's, it's really a universal experience for young men starting in ballet, I think, dealing with the friction that society has, has placed on that journey. I'll, I'll take you back a little bit because, you know, I definitely was Please. made fun of a lot in, in middle school. And it was part of the reason why I wanted to go to an arts high school was just because it was like, you know, everybody did sports and I got my PE credit from dance classes. So I wasn't in all of the sports programs with all the other guys. And so like, they'd be like, oh, you're going to dance class, you know, all that, yada, yada, yada. But even when I was in high school, we actually had, there were five other guys, or there were, there were five other guys in my class, in my arts high school, who, who were dance majors. And they, they were all gay and I love them all. But even, but as a straight man, it was funny to be like a, a, a minority as the straight man. I, it might yeah. sound weird to say, but I was like, kind of, I had like a, a hunger for like some, some like bros. And I ended up taking a speech and debate class in high school. Oh. And I became really good friends with a lot of the theater majors in my school through this speech and debate class. And this group of guys was this amazing young group of like mainly African-American young men. And they ended up starting this theater group called the Black Actors Guild. And as we were kind of wrapping up, they produced the Black History Month show at our high school for our junior and senior years. And as, as we graduated, they started a theater company called the Black Actors Guild. And I was kind of like one of two like token white guys in the Black Actors Guild. And we would put on improv and sketch comedy shows for the community. Um, Wow, and so I that was that. another really amazing kind of, that's, that's another seed kind of origin moment for my passion for acting and for theaters is because of this amazing group of young men who, who kind of like, you know, they, it's, it's like, it, as a, as a dancer, as a male dancer, you kind of want to fight the toxic masculinity that um, is the trap that I think so many young men fall into. I think that young men get made fun of so much going into dance, regardless of their sexuality, that they present as hyper-masculine to counter the femininity of the art form that they're going into. And so not only did I have a safe space with, with all of my fellow male dancers at school, but I found a safe kind of, you know, hetero space with other artists where it wasn't about being hyper-masculine or, or toxic, but like it was still kind of a really great creative space with, with, with a group of guys in, in another art form that I felt like a really strong connection to. And so um, going up to, to Bad Boys, like, it brought me that sense of camaraderie I felt with my theater friends in the dance world. We, we just like had this group of guys that really were 
homies and we were pushing each other. And like, of course, we had uh, like diverse arrays of sexuality and, and, and different identities in, in the company. And, and that's so much of what made it such a beautiful experience. But really, I just think that, you know, like boys will be boys. Like they'll always be competitive and push each other. And like in that, I think in, in dance, we're lucky because for for girls going to dance, it's the level of competition is a little bit more kind of life-threatening. Like <laughs> there's like the amount of women who go into ballet, it's just like, like ultimately they're, they're I mean, it's like replaceable or, or there's going to be dime a dozen, whatever. So as guys, like we, we do have it easier going into dance. Even if we're being made fun of, I think guys have it easier going into dance because you're a commodity. Like you're a very like rare object. So even though you might get made fun of on the outside, like when you're in the dance community, you will be supported and lifted and given scholarships. And like mm -hmm. your path is the yellow brick road and you'll make it to Oz unscathed. But for for young women, I think it's it's really like, yes, you have the support of society in the sense that it's a feminine art form and nobody's going to make fun of you. But then when you're inside of the art form, it is so much more toxic and difficult to find supportive companionship within within your like trying to trying to grow and trying to find like healthy competition as as, as women. It's just like there's more fangs and claws. Um, whereas for guys, it's kind of like, yeah, man, like we made it through the getting made fun of part. So like, why don't we just like see how good we can get? That's so interesting. It's almost like the battle for the, for the guys, regardless of sexuality, as you say, is it, is the getting there. But then once you're there, it's sort of like, this is my safe space. This is my sacred space. This is where I'm appreciated. This is where I'm supported. Whereas for women, it can be the opposite. Like everyone loves a little girl who's doing ballet because it's, you know, what girls are supposed to do. But once she's there, the pressure, the competition, that's such an interesting way of putting it. Do you think that that's changing at all? Some of the reckonings that have happened in the dance world as there have been in the theater world as well, or the way dance has been portrayed on screen more recently, or are you sort of like, it's this hermetically sealed world that's never going to change? I definitely think that there is change. You know, how, how would these reckonings have happened if there, if there wasn't an awareness that's growing within the dance community and then the world as, as a whole and its view of, of the dance world? You know, that's not to say that... Um, everything is rosy roses yeah. and dandy and, and, and perfect because like I, I, for my show for tiny, pretty things, obviously it's, it's, it's a universe that's dramatized. That's it's, it's heightened reality for sure. But what was interesting to me is there was a New York times review about my show talking about how, Oh, they're playing on all these stereotypes and the ballet world has changed and it's perfect now. And like, go watch the Disney documentary, the Disney plus docu-series on point. It shows how, how diverse SAB is. And, and this, not to, not to bash this, but this is my personal take. Like this Disney plus documentary was an, was a PR <laughs> answer to the Peter Martin's scandal and to the principal ballet absolutely ba ballet dancer scandal that happened at New York City Ballet where like they're filming 
an SAB audition in Harlem and in Queens and like they follow the one like they follow a, a one minority and so like it was really kind of like them trying to pave over the systemic issues that ballet has really had woven into the fabric and so like I don't think that one documentary means that everything is fixed and and my show as heightened reality as it is actually does talk on the more honest insidious issues that we deal with as dancers young men who have eating disorders who struggle with their sexuality girls who have his competition and eating disorders and and uh, toxic relationships from teachers and from mentors like these are all things in the ballet world that are still very very alive and you know change doesn't happen in in just shining a light on something it's shining a light and then it's going back and it's trying to make trying to see how the institutions have established these patterns I mean, we look at how we try to change our behaviors and our habits. Like if you're trying to stop drinking coffee, like you go through headaches and jitters and like all of these symptoms. And so I think that we're, you know, in trying to make our arts industries healthier and more inclusive for all, we're experiencing the headaches and the jitters and like the, the kind of, the heat that is is generated the withdrawal that's very good that comes with that effort you know it's like you're trying to be better you're trying to do something different but we can't just say that it's better yeah I think I think that's such a good metaphor for it I do think it's it makes me feel optimistic even though you know I'm definitely not a ballet dancer but it does make me feel optimistic that people like you and other people are talking about it more I think the, the talk is one of the most important things. I saw a great article in the Times that a bunch of female dancers wrote about like not refusing to go back to their sort of insane pre-pandemic bodies. Obviously, yeah. they're going to be healthy and athletic and all the things that you have to be as a dancer. But I remember reading it and they were talking about like the way their bodies used to be. And I was like shocked because you hear about it, of course, but when you're not embedded in that world you don't really get the extremes of it and I was really flabbergasted by it so I think the discussion is very important it's it's very important and these extremes are often more extreme than than we can imagine you know like when you're really in the lived experience of of the dysmorphia that is encouraged by these institutions you really don't know what you're in until you're out of it and you can take a step back and look at it like the I think pandemic and quarantine and and the being forced to take a step back gave us the opportunity to take advantage of a fresh perspective with the way that we kind of treat our bodies in this space because it it really I Oh man. Okay. So I'm going to share this. I think it's important. I think what, so I'm in this method acting class now, you and I have run into each other on the street a couple of times. It's been very cute. And I was thinking to myself the other day, like if I ever have to, you know, gain weight or lose weight for a role, like, will I feel comfortable with that? And, and then this thought came up in my head because my character on Tiny Pretty Things is a, is a male dancer who's uh, uh, suffering from bulimia. And 
And, and in my head, when I'm thinking about if I'm choosing to approach a character in method and I have to gain weight or lose weight, in my head, I was like, thank God I had to play a character who had an eating disorder. And that's the thought that happened in my mind. And then I was like, oh, my God, that is so messed up. Because yeah. I was like, oh, I could be as in shape as I possibly could. Like, I could I could do the most strict diet. I could work out every day. Like, that's what I – and then I was just, like, having this epiphany about the conditioning that, as, as you know, in, has been imposed by directors and, and choreographers, but, like, really self-imposed after a point. Because once you learn the words that your teachers have said, that becomes a self-perpetuating cycle in your own mind and so it was just something for me where i was like oh wow like that's the world that i come from where i was like thankful as an actor to <laughs> to put myself in a, in, in yeah. a role where i'm portraying someone with very unhealthy relationships with with their body and the way they see themselves I was going to ask before you told that if you feel like because you weren't in one of these, you were more like a freelancer getting hired for individual dance things or tours or whatever it was, because you weren't in one of these sort of historical companies, you were able to escape some of the 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 extremes or the or the the nefarious aspects of the industry but it sounds like you sort of haven't or maybe you've escaped the most extreme but do you that's what th I, think. Do you, I think that's the case is that i yeah. i have experienced you know if it's a spectrum i'm i'm probably pretty far to one end but not all the way at, at all yeah. you know i think that these companies perpetuate a a, a harsher environment for for the people inside of and i can't speak to that 100% factually, because I've never been in a large-scale ballet company, but sure. I have been very close with many people who, who have, and the kind of torment that I've seen them experience has, has been pretty jaw-dropping. Oh, my God. Torment. The, your use of that word it was so visceral, visceral for me, because I can picture it it's no you know it's funny like people love to hate on a movie like black swan which i actually love because yes inaccurate whatever but being friends with a, a lot of dancers the the like mental torture of it i thought was extreme as you say but somewhat accurate i on the subject of you being able to like not being one of these companies and therefore being able to do lots of different various things is that what gives you sort of creative pleasure and artistic fulfillment is is it the variety and we've been sort of dancing around the fact that you eventually got interested in and passionate about acting so as you move forward in your career do you want to be doing way more acting and less dance do you always want to be doing an equal amount what are what are you currently thinking what's giving you the most fulfillment yeah I, I think for me you know, we all experienced this pandemic and quarantine and like global shift in our lives. And and what it really did for me, it was right after we wrapped the Netflix show and, and then the year leading up was the election year and that was its whole own thing. But after the show came out and, and after it was, it was canceled, I really intentionally 
looked back on the experience and was like, what did I love about it? And, and I'll always love dance. It's, it's my first, it's my first love. And it's, it's really what called to me first as an artist, but I really fell in love with using my voice dancers. We don't do. Yeah. And I was like, I need to learn how to act. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to have had experiences as an actor before this and leading up to this, but I, I really realized profoundly how, how much I cared about learning a technique as an actor, because that's what got me as far as it did as a dancer, you know, learning the building blocks to keep me healthy, to keep me versatile and, and ready. Like, you learn exercises. It's it's your ballet bar, it's your tendu dégagé, ronde jambe, plié, whatever. But I didn't really have that as an actor. I just kind of had my instincts and like I'm a very expressive person. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I had energy in that in that field, but I really didn't have uh, much specificity and, and, and much craft. And so this, these last couple of years has really been kind of, I've just been taking a ton of class. That's one thing I think that's valuable about dance that I'll take with me for the rest of my life is like, if you're a dancer, you, you take class. Like you take class before you rehearse, you take class like every day if you're in a company. And, and that is, how you stay healthy and that's how you have longevity. And so, yeah, the last two years have really been a, a very conscious effort to train as an actor, to learn craft and technique and find different teachers to, to work with and to train with and to learn the, the tools. You know, we have building blocks as dancers that help us train our bodies to do extraordinary things. We have our tendus, dégagés, plies, ronde jambes. That's how you train your body and train your muscles to have turnout and to be able to jump high and to be able to do the bigger things in center. And as an actor, what are the building blocks to strengthen your emotionality, to strengthen your imagination and your visual instincts and your your voice you know like what are these building blocks that you can practice daily on your own or in a class setting to make you someone who's in control and who who comes from a place of being able to make meaningful creative choices when when you're on stage or in front of the camera or in a rehearsal process yeah do you sing at all i was gonna ask yeah, I sing. Well, so is is musical theater next? Because it seems like the next natural step. If you're already this incredible dynamic dancer and now you're learning the tools of acting, you did a whole Netflix show. It seems, I mean, I'm not just saying this because musical theater is my thing, but it seems like the natural next step. Do you feel the same way? How do, Or you could just not like musical theater. I don't know. No, I love musical theater. I... I um... The thing about singing for me is I, I don't naturally have a good voice. And this is one thing that is, it's, it's the same kind of crossover with, with dance that it's just kind of like, you can be born without something. And if you work at it, you can get pretty good at it. So I was fortunate enough to do the first national tour of an American in Paris. I understudied the lead and, and I got to go on as Jerry. It was a crazy story. Saturday night, sold out, April Fool's Day in LA. The Gershwins were there. I had 15 minutes notice and I got thrown on 
as Jerry. I had never rehearsed in costume under the lights with my partner, ever, nothing. And I got thrown on. The Gershwins were there. The Gershwin estate was in the house. How was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like, it was it was totally where I was meant to be. You know, for some reason, I'm I'm someone who craves pressure. <laughs> it's the um, dancer in you. You guys love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just like. I get chills even thinking about it. I get, so, I get so excited and alive. Like, I would rather fall on my face trying as hard as I can than, than fail having not, than like not having tried at all, you know, than be safe. I, I would definitely rather live through the embarrassment of uh, failure than, yeah. So it was, it was definitely a very exciting time and, and really a time where I wasn't super strong vocally. Um, but one of those times where I was like, hey, I, I did the dancing, I remembered my lines, I, I remembered the songs, and I put together a show on Saturday night, sold out at the Pantages as the lead that I had never really rehearsed in costume or anything. And so I was just like, if that's the beginning, then like we can probably go further from here. And, and so, yeah, I've been working on my voice for, for years, and I'm at a place that it's it's strong and I, I would love to, to continue on in, in musical theater. And I'm definitely just in that place where I'm, it's so interesting and it maybe sounds cheesy, but that whole thing about being a dancer and not using your voice is something I feel like I've been meditating on for the last two years of just like, it was, it was kind of like a metamorphosis of being like on this set for a Netflix show and being like, oh, I can use my voice to tell stories and to make people feel seen. And and the amount of response that I got after the show of, of people who related to the character who have been so afraid to share with their family and friends about what they're going through and stuff. Like I was just like overwhelmed with the value that, that telling a story like that had. And so I really do feel pulled in, in that direction of, of continuing to bring characters to life and enliven scripts. And yeah, I think I think writers are really our kind of doorway into, into a better world. And as an actor, you can kind of be a, a conduit for those stories that help people feel connected to one another. It's beautiful. I think it sounds to me when you're speaking, it sounds like acting and even singing to some extent, finding your voice gave you freedom, which mm. is so important. It's interesting. I've, I've asked other dancers I've had on the show this question, which is like a fundamental sort of theory of musical theater is this theory that when you can't speak anymore, you sing. And when you can't sing anymore, you dance where dance is like the highest form of creative expression. Is that mm. how you see it? It's, it sounds sort of like you see it in reverse, but dance of course being your first love, do you see it in this hierarchical way or do you see them all as like moving together to, to support a story? It's interesting because from, my perspective as a dancer, we're more seen as background mm. than as foreground. And if you look at the entertainment industry, it's reflected very much so in that. Yeah. Like, name one international dance sensation like with millions of followers. Misty Copeland, name one more. 
Barishnikov from like the past. Barishnikov. Yes, there's there's maybe a handful. Yes. These people both being people who have broken out into film and television and yes. and and reached like wider audiences through other mediums. I think Barishnikov is a great example. He he truly is like it, like a goal of mine in terms of career trajectory like coming from dance and and moving into into other mediums and and using dance within those other well, forms the other of expression. Thing, the shelf life of a dancer, I mean you were saying it's so athletic and you do insane things to your bodies, but it also just seems like a smart thing to be able to explore these other things because what when do dancers retire unless they're like so famous like 30s i don't know i mean yeah typically a dancer like it depends on what they're kind of if they're in a company typically mid 30s early 40s is early 40s is a long time for a dancer and if you're on broadway like it's a it's a eight shows a week can be very very demanding but like classical ballet really has a different i think kind of toll on the body and so i think in musical theater we can we can stay moving a little bit longer and even then it's like if if you're really trying to have like concert dance as your profession as like a freelance concert dancer early 30s really seems kind of like the medium shelf life and so you know i'm really closing in on that and i I still can dance my little tuchus off and I'm super grateful for for that and I think that's you know thanks to the technique that I've I've built for myself and and focused on early in my career but that's absolutely a conscious aspect of my shift in in goals and and in artistic expression is because I know that my body is going to only be able to do what I want it to do as a mover for so much longer. And so I, I really want to stay an artist. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reasonable and understandable. You mentioned the response to Tiny Pretty Things and getting this response, but I know it came out during sort of the height of the pandemic in like December, 2020, I wanna say. Mm. And you also mentioned how rare it is for dancers to sort of break out as you said, it's like a handful. It's like Misty, Barishnikov, whatever. Do you feel do you feel famous, for lack of a better word, or because it was the pandemic, not really, or because it was a dance show, not really? Did you notice a change in your life? Well, absolutely. Absolutely to change in my life. I don't know if I feel famous. I I definitely noticed a change in my life. I mean, it's it's my, my social media blew up, which was a, a wonderful boon and, and something that I uh, am, am grateful for because it's another form of income that, you know, was always kind of unexpected. I think, you know, also I, I had new film and TV reps. And so my my career trajectory has, has shifted because of that. And so I think that's that's kind of the the big differences in in my life that I can see. I also moved into a different part of Manhattan and that's that's been a, a wonderful shift to experience every day is to be kind of living in a in a new part of town that I love so much. And in many ways, like you think that you book a Netflix show and like then casting will just be ringing off the hook and like everything will be so good and you won't have to like audition ever again. And like, that's BS. Like in so many ways, like I am still, I'm still grinding so hard. Like I am self-taping three, four times a week. I'm going to rounds and rounds of 
musical theater auditions, and I'm still putting myself on the line, even as someone who has a Netflix show under my belt. Like, I'm still going in like the new kid on the block, like, hi, my name is Barton, and today I will be singing this song for you. And I still get so nervous, and I still um, sometimes feel like a nobody. And sometimes I do feel a little famous, but st still, yeah. it's like one does not exclude the other entirely. It's still a very full, full human experience. <laughs> do you have any advice for either wannabe dancers who may be listening or dancers who are listening who are sort of hungry for more, wanting to to make the leap or the jeté, I should say, into, into mm. the, the acting world or some other creative world? I mean, I, I, I guess I was fortunate at my high school to become friends with my theater major friends. I think that it was so valuable for me getting into my early career as a dancer to to be putting on improv and sketch comedy shows you know like it there's a seriousness to dance that i think to some dance classical ballet really has like so much rigidity in it that other forms of dance have a little more fun and, and joie de vivre and you know i think that theater and the comedy element like was just something like i love being silly and making people laugh yeah and so i would say if if you're really trying to i mean i think if you're trying to be an artist you just gotta go for it like you gotta take class you gotta really dedicate your soul to something and and that's gonna be a unique journey for you find your mentors find your community of people who you want to be like or who support your big dreams that you're afraid to say because they're so big i think one of the most i'm digressing to a, a personal um experience but one that i think was really formative for me after i had moved to new york i had moved to new york i had done shows for lar lubovich as a principal i had i had done an american in paris i had performed with this choreographer pontus lidberg like i had done some really exciting big things as a concert dancer and I um I was experiencing knee pain and I didn't know what to do <laughs> and I was put in touch with this ballet master who lived in Beacon New York and he does this technique called Chiquetti technique which if you're a dancer Chiquetti is a very strict Italian form of ballet where you're doing like Plies, tendus, and then grand batmas, which is a very um, kind of backwards progression of the class technique at bar. But I ended up studying with this man for three months, and I would commute to Beacon, New York, five days a week for three months, two and a half hours up, and then I would take private ballet classes for three hours in a yoga studio that had warped floors we installed the bar ourselves warped floors and he would he taught me all these floor bar exercises and and like he essentially broke me down retrained my body and and like got my knee pain to go away without stopping dancing like he really just fixed my musculature like all the bad habits that we put in ourselves when we're young 
trying to achieve a external goal of looking a certain way or being able to achieve a certain move. We put that, we rank that as more important than like the longevity and physical health that is really important to having a long and pain-free and injury-free career. And, and so I spent three months not working, commuting five hours a day, training with this guy who nobody knew. His name is Ken Ludden, shout out. He had worked with Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev for a while. He wrote a book called My Margot about his his life with Margot Fontaine. It's really phenomenal. And the fact that this guy kind of was living like hermited up in Beacon, New York, it's just like he, he was this buried treasure that was all mine for a little while. But that's something I'm craving now as an actor, as a mentor like that. Mm. Like part of me does just kind of want to like drop off and like you know Mr. Miyagi karate kid just have that have that clarity of direction because like even if Chiquetti is not what I end up doing like I don't really I'm I'm not gonna go doing Chiquetti technique but like I was studying something that became invaluable as as life lesson and as lesson as an artist because you really kind of ultimately you learn yes about your body and about your technique but you learn just about yourself and how you handle these search like these situations and how you kind of respond to the goals that you set for yourself well i was gonna say that for people that want to be actors whether came from something else or went directly from like high school or whatever it is when you don't have, it sounds like kind of what you, you're seeking is like a conservatory acting BFA training, like an opportunity to just sort of cloister yourself and just train and find a mentor who in a sort of safe space where there aren't really stakes, you can try things out and experiment and fail and all those things. And I think, I just want to applaud you for like going to class as much as you do, because I think and I've been guilty of this as an actor. And I think you're right that it comes from your dance background. Like it can be acting, you think like, I took the classes before and my voice is fine. Like I know how to act, it's fine. So I, and I think for people that may start in acting along the way after they've done something else, they don't necessarily think it's like you, you need the training. Like, oh, it's just speaking. Like this comes naturally to me. But the class is so important and, and the mentorship and the technique and you're right, the like the cloisteredness of being able to take risks, I think, is so mm. important. You'll 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 find the mentor, the person. They're out there. Yeah, and I've I've found I, I've I've found an, a number of them. It's not quite as like you know, intimate and strange and like unique as, as this this dancing uh relationship but yeah i just you know keep putting yourself out there it's just keep keep the search alive that's ultimately what it is i think there's something that's so i don't know i, I for some reason maybe it's just me but we as artists are like in this kind of starving artist narrative where it's like you know what was me we got to hold a regular job or we got to do this or that to like you know hopefully have the dream come true but uh, the more I get into my acting training the more I'm kind of like god it's it's all like the struggle is so beautiful it's it's painful and it's tormenting but like 
it is so full of life because like when we choose to to go out with friends for drinks or to go back home and see our family or to take time to work on our craft like it's it's really as artists i think something that like we invest fully in the things that we do. and you know let me tell you you don't book a netflix show and become financially stable for the rest of your life like you you book a netflix show and upgrade your life a little bit and then the pressure is 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 higher and so and especially if you're trying to change what you're doing for your career like it is it's always going to be something that you're trying to figure out and like figuring something out fully and and with dedication um and passion is like really special yeah and so i'm just kind of like in the thick of that and yeah i think but this is all, these are all the questions and like experiences you should and everyone should be having. The difficult thing about being an artist, which I think is slightly different actually from being like a ballet dancer in a company, for example, there's no set path, right? Like if you're in a, if you're a ballet dancer in a company, not unlike being a lawyer or something like that, it's very much like, okay, I got into this company. Then if I'm there for a certain amount of time and I work really hard and I'm really good, I can achieve I can be a soloist and then if they like me and blah 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 I can be a principal and it's very sort of cut and dry the path is clear and I think with virtually every other form of being an artist as you are saying you book a Netflix show you do amazingly you get good reviews whatever and then it's like okay what's next how do I make this next thing happen where do I want to be is this next thing necessarily better than this thing is it what I want to do and I think it's something that I don't know I don't know if you're you seem like very creative but a lot of dancers I know are like very much control freaks which I can really identify Mm. with and I think it that's for me that's the hardest part about our business, not knowing what's next, not having any control over what's next, not even necessarily knowing what the right move is next. Yeah, there's definitely an element of surrender. Because and and I think this is something that's toxic about our culture is that we have this kind of like, you know, work until you praise where it's like, you just go and then you just keep going. And (laughs) if you go hard enough, you'll never stop going. And (laughs) I love your impression of like a finance bro there. Yeah. (laughs) Just go. Um, I am of the mind that yes, go. But also sometimes the universe will meet you halfway and, and you can rest and let your work work for itself. You know, there's the saying that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And like, if you're too buried in your preparation, you'll miss the opportunity. And so like, you're never going to find the balance and then, and then be done. (laughs) Like, it's not going to be a moment where your problems are, are, are solved and life becomes easy. Life only becomes more complex and more full and and your goals only will get bigger. And, and for me, I just think it's like, you want your problems to be good problems. You want your problems to be better problems. You know, if I book a Netflix show, then what can I do to make my craft better so that my next job 
hopefully touches as many people or even a fraction of that many people. And, and I think another thing that's valuable to know is like, you can become the star and then you can go back to being in the ensemble and that's okay. Absolutely. You know, you don't, you don't have to stay at the front once you hit it. Yes. The goal is like always going to stay up on the, on the up and up. That, that's great. That's the fairy tale. That's, that's what some people in our business are lucky enough to experience. And, and, and that's probably even a lie. I think that this business is, is viscous and it is ebbing and flowing and like you're going to be in, in front and you're going to be uh, the poster child for a second and then you're going to have to regroup and, and get back there and support other people in your community who, who get to have their chance to shine. And, and that's part of the beauty. That's part of the beauty of it, because we as artists are already in, you know, the 10 percent of the population, the 5 percent, the 2 percent, the 1 percent of the population that is pursuing what we love. And as difficult as it can be and as upstream as it feels like we're swimming, like. It's a gift. Completely. And I think that's another thing the pandemic hopefully impressed upon people that like not being able to work for so long, the, the, the gratitude to be able to work. And as you say, that the work is something you love is so special and unique and, and fallible. Like it's, it's fragile. I think that's really true. I, I always end the pod with a segment that I call the thank you five segment, um, which is five mm. rapid fire questions, sort of like the Vogue 73, but much smaller budget. So yeah, just answer off the top of your head, whatever comes okay. to you. Okay. If you have a dance warm up that you do on your own, what songs are usually playing? The Weeknd, his new album, his old album. Actually, Dawn FM is really, really good. So that one, yeah. Fabulous. Great answers. Loved that album. Do you have a favorite classical ballet or Balanchine ballet? I'm going to say Ruby's. Love it. And you have that personal experience with it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a dream choreographer that you haven't yet worked with that you would love to work with? Yeah, City Larby. Incredible. Um, (laughs) This is like putting yourself into Orin from Tiny Pretty Things Shoes. What do you think Oren did during the pandemic? I, in my heart of hearts, I hope that Oren got help and admitted that he had an eating disorder and went and, and got treated for it. I think that if we got renewed for a second season, that would have been my like biggest hope for Oren Lennox is that he, he, he got treatment and support from his community to, to get better from what he was going through. I think that's really important. And I should say... This sounds weird, but if anyone is listening, obviously, who's struggling with that, please seek help because it can be really serious. Whew, got to a dark place there. <laughs> Hopefully this will be better. My last question, I ask a lot of people this, because you are all these different things, I, would, I was going to say, like, what is the dancer essential? What is the actor essential? What is your artist essential? And this can be like very tangible, like, you know, a water bottle or a foam roller, or it can be metaphorical, like ambition or grit or honesty or whatever it is to you. I think that 
you know, what's coming to my mind is the image of a juggler. Because in life, we have to keep all of these balls in the air. And for me, they are, you know, my, my career, my role as a son, as a brother, my role as a significant other, as a boyfriend, my role as a friend. And so these efforts to be good at all of these things may be at different levels. But I think my way of, you know, having something to hold on to is, is when something gets a bit much to maybe focus on another ball and make sure it doesn't fall to the ground, you know? Call your folks, call your siblings, be good friends to your homies. <laughs> uh, take care of your significant others and your loved ones and and treat your treat your art and your career and and your passions like you would, you know, your friends and your family and your loved ones, your pets, whatever. Like I think it's just try and live fully and absorb it all and then channel that into into creation, into creativity. Something you mentioned before, which I thought you were going to say, but I think is really important about being an actor and becoming an actor, is that you obviously can't be an actor if you haven't lived, if you don't have like lived experiences and have experienced a lot. And so I think on that subject, like in the way that for writers, everything is copy. I think learning about other things and doing other things and having experiences and being in relationships and being a good daughter or son or whatever it is, sister, brother, all contributes to that because acting mm -hmm. is, is a representation of life. And if you are, to that extent, if you're only, you know, focusing on acting and learning about acting, you actually can't be that good an actor because what do you have to draw on? What experiences do you have to 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 go back to so i think that's really true mm -hmm. as important as class is yes we all gotta live yes and i think of class it's funny i had a sort of parallel conversation with this actor ari venturi who went to yale drama school and is now making her broadway debut in the minutes a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about class and she our discussion was much more like eh, classes whatever but it was more to be like, I think actors like dancers get into like, I am this technique. Like I use Strasbourg technique or I use Laban technique or whatever it is. And I think it, I've as an actor have always more used it as a toolbox. Like whatever the character needs, maybe I'll draw on Laban, maybe I'll draw on, you know, method, whatever it is. To, to get the character to the place it needs to be rather than just being like, oh, I only, I'm only i an aficionado of this one technique. So that that that's sort of what I mean by like classes, whatever, but. We all have our own instruments, right? Like the art form is gonna resonate on your instrument differently. As a dancer, I was Vaganova, then Balanchine, then Chiquetti, but like it really got me to this place where I figured out what worked for me as a dancer. And totally. as an artist, as an actor now, it's like I've taken Meisner and Uta Hagen and now I'm taking Method which is Strasbourg and it's like I'm you really just want to find what your what what you can use to make your instrument you resonate at its highest and best frequency in in whatever you're doing it's a toolbox you just like figure out toolbox. what tools you need at any given time um, yeah yeah 
Are you liking Strasbourg or what's what's been your favorite toolbox so I mean, far? Dude, it's so weird. I'm loving it. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm loving it. I mean, like I, I keep telling people like, yeah, I thought I had a weird career like rolling around on the floor as a dancer, but like now I'm rolling around on the floor and making the weirdest noises yeah. I can possibly <laughs> <Yeah>. make. <laughs> yeah. And that's a reductionist take on it, obviously, but um no, I'm, I'm absolutely inspired. I'm like, I'm super, super inspired. Oh, it's incredible. This has been such a great conversation. I'm sorry about our Wi-Fi issues before. Is there anything else you you feel like I've missed or you want to say or you want to plug? I think, you know, yeah, I plugged uh, Girls 5 Eva early on. Yes, please. Um, when does that come out? May 5th on Peacock. Oh, it's soon. Yeah. I have a cute little role. I play the leader of a TikTok boy band. Love it. It should be. Yeah, it's so on brand. Um, <laughs> Do you have TikTok? I have TikTok. I don't post. Yeah, yeah. I don't even have I'm one, but I guess I need Instagram to enter the, the 21st century. because I just don't even know if I have the, the headspace for another social media platform. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful for you having me on. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a lovely conversation. And yeah, apologies for the technical difficulties on my end as well. But I think we, we really got to some nice meat and potatoes. And, Agreed. Um, we, we turned it out. I really appreciate it. And it was so, you know, it's funny. All of my actor friends and I always joke that like <laughs> when you do like random readings, like the one that we did in the theater world, <laughs> It's either when you meet like incredible people or like the weirdest people you've ever met. That I was, was an amazing day. It was so, it was amazing. It was magical. And I was so happy to meet you. Yeah, likewise. And I'm sure we'll continue to run into each other near NYU. Uh, yes, my, my, my school. Classic New York City. Barton, yeah. it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Call Time listeners, as always. Please like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, all the things. But I really appreciate hearing from you all. And there will be another, I think I'm taking a week off next week. But the following week, there'll be a really amazing guest who I've been trying to lock down for a bit. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.